Well, hello. Welcome to Sunday morning. I think I think this is live. There we go. I think now we're rolling. Um, welcome, guys. Welcome to Sunday morning uh, at the Grove slash church office slash your living room slash all over Lake County. Um, great to see you here this morning. Want to give a couple quick announcements before we uh, dive in. Uh, be sure to uh, comment on here throughout. Um, look to engage. One of my favorite things um, on Sunday mornings as I'm preaching is being able to interact and engage with people, being able to see people's faces. Um, and so as you guys are watching and listening, uh, feel free to comment over uh, below here and interact with one another. Uh, see this not only as a time where we get to open up God's word, but also to be able to connect with one another. Uh, and so be sure to uh, log on the comment section uh, down below and engage and interact uh, throughout today. Also, want to give a um, again an update as we shared yesterday uh, that we've got uh, following Lake County uh, school prohibitions that school won't be meeting until April 15th. We as a church won't be gathering on Sunday mornings uh, until at least then. Uh, we're continuing to kind of monitor the situation, see how things go. Uh, but again, just to clearly say, we, we're not going to be gathering on Sundays till then. So we're going to continue this rhythm uh, here on Facebook Live uh, until at least then as this continues to unfold. But uh, we've got a plan uh, in place as we're going to be rolling that out. Talked about that a little bit yesterday um, on Facebook and sent an email out. But this afternoon, be looking at your email. We're going to be sending out kind of the details detailed plan of what we're going to be doing in order to accomplish those four tasks that we're going to be striving towards. While we can't gather together, we can still remain relationally connected, intentionally cared for, um, fully equipped, and missionally engaged. And so those are the things we're focusing on. So we're going to be laying that out um, this afternoon in email saying, hey, here's our plan. This is our schedule. This is what we're going to be doing in ways to be able to continue to foster that. Um, so be looking for that email going out today. So this morning, what I want to do is just briefly uh, walk through a little bit uh, of a story where um, another situation in biblical history where it seemed like uh, God's people were separated from one another and from his presence. And what did God do? Because here's the reality. Like I just said, church has been canceled today. Um, and the question that some people may be asking is, where is God then? Are we still able to worship and interact with him? Are we still able to enter into his presence when we're not able to gather together? Or are we kind of doomed over these next few weeks or however long months it might be to just kind of hole up in our houses and just kind of survive and binge watch Netflix and come out the other side um, and, and hope we don't slip into too much apathy? Or is there a way for us to continue to engage with God, to know him, and perhaps even to grow more than we ever have in this season. And so that's what the question that I want to ask. It's an important question to ask. How does God interact with his people when they are unable to gather for worship? What has God done in the past and what might God do today? And it's an important question because I know in the midst of so much unknown, here's one thing that I still do know is that Jesus expects us to continue to follow him even whenever we're told to be distant from everyone else right now. Jesus expects us to still be near to him in this season. Just because we're not gathering as a church doesn't mean that our relationship with God is then cut off or that that expectation to follow him is now kind of pulled back a little bit. And so how can we continue to grow as a follower of Jesus in this season as a church when we can't gather together? How are we able to draw near to God when we can't draw near to any of his children? 
That's our question today. And again, to answer it, I want to go back to a point in biblical history when God's people weren't able to gather together and felt like they were separated from God's presence. What did God say to them? So we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 11 this morning. We're really looking at one verse. And before I read it, I want to give kind of a brief history of understanding the importance of this verse. Um, and, and so to, to kind of go back, give a brief history of, uh, of Israel, uh, the very first king that was given to Israel was this guy named Saul. Um, God had delivered Israel from Egypt, given them the promised land. They had gone in, and you get this story in Judges where people said, hey, we want a king like all the other nations. Uh, and God says, you want a king? Fine, I'll give you a king, and appoints this man named Saul. So Saul is the king over Israel. God's kingdom is showing up here on earth. Uh, but Saul turns away from God, and so God gets another king in place. It's this man named David, the small little shepherd from Bethlehem that was passed over even by his own family. David kills Goliath, writes a bunch of songs. He then becomes king eventually uh, and is God's chosen king. He's the one that God truly then establishes as the true first king of Israel who's going to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And so here with David, uh, God makes this promise to him in 2 Samuel 7, this covenant with him, this promise where God's saying that he's going to, from David's line, establish this king that will bring this kingdom that will last forever. And in this kind of back and forth, David also mentions um, this desire to want to build for God this house that's worthy of God to dwell in. Because up until this point, as God was making this kingdom and getting this people together, God was dwelling with his people, but in this thing called the tabernacle. Uh, it's honestly not, it's similar to what we do every Sunday. I mean, granted, they didn't have a trailer, but they set up and tore down every single day as they would go and set up this tabernacle. God's presence then would dwell in this tabernacle with his people. And David's saying here in 2 second, in second Samuel 7, God, let me build for you a house that's worthy for you. I'm in this palace. Let me, you don't need to live in a tent. Let me build for you a temple, something that's worthy of your name. And God tells him, listen, I've been with my people and will continue to dwell with my people, uh, and I don't need you to build me a house. Your son will, and he's talking about Solomon. He said, your son will build for me that temple, and it will be the center point then of worship and my presence then with my people and showing that I've now set up shop. I'm moving in. The temple would be built there in Jerusalem and God's presence would dwell permanently with his people. And so that's what we get then past David to David's son, Solomon. Solomon does just that. Solomon builds this temple and there in the middle of the temple, the, the kind of focus of the temple was this room called the Holy of Holies. It was there that the Ark of the Covenant was and it was there that God's presence dwelt. And it was seen all throughout up until that point by God's glory, often as a cloud in Mount Sinai and in the tabernacle. And now God's presence dwelling here in the very center of the temple. And it became the center point of spiritual life for Israel. Throughout the year, people would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem, to David's city, to Zion. These are all talking about Jerusalem because it was there where the temple was. It was there that God's presence dwelt. And so people, in order to worship God in his presence, had to come to where he was. They had to come to Jerusalem. They had to come to the temple. And so you begin to feel the importance of the temple in the life of Israel. It was the center point of that worship, and it continued on. And we, Leah and I were able to even see this today uh, in modern-day Israel. When we went over in September, we went to Jerusalem, and there are the ruins of the second temple that was made by Herod, and you still have the, the western wall 
that was original to there. And so uh, the modern day um, uh, Israelis aren't able then to walk onto the top of the Temple Mount that's now a mosque. The closest that they can get where they believe the Holy of Holies used to be is there at that Western Wall. And so even still today in Israel, there is this belief that it's there that God's presence is located, and it's the holiest place that they can get. If they crowd to get as close as possible as they can because there was this belief God's presence was bound to a place, and we had to go to it. It's what made that such a holy spot and continues to be for uh, the nation of Israel today. And so the, the story continues after Solomon where the nation of Israel is then split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and then Judah in the south. Now Israel is led off, the northern ten tribes are led off into captivity by Assyria. But Judah continues on um, after the split in 922 B.C. Judah continues on. And it gets to a point eventually where they are also led into captivity, captivity later on by Babylon. And Babylon comes, sieges Jerusalem, and takes a wave of refugees away from Jerusalem. Some of the important figures that were there. And in that group, in that first wave of refugees in 597 B.C., was this guy named Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is known as one of the major prophets. He wrote one of the books of the Bible. Uh, and Ezekiel then so is led from Jerusalem into captivity, captivity in Babylon. And so there's two great um, tragedies for Ezekiel here. One, he's removed from being able to gather with God's people. He's now a captive. He's in exile. He's in Babylon. But the second thing, the second tragedy for him is he's now been removed from being able to engage with God's presence. God's glory is now separate from him. He's not able to go and worship in God's presence, to know, to love, to be able to come draw near to him, that's not possible as long as he's away from Jerusalem. And so that kind of gets to the scene of where we are today and helps us understand a little bit as to why this is such an important text, what we'll see. Again, all of Israel to this point goes, the way in which we worship in God's presence is to be at this place, to be in Jerusalem, to be there at the temple. And so you can imagine the despair that these exiles felt, especially Ezekiel, as they were cut off from that. But Ezekiel, in the very beginning of the book, sees this vision. He's sitting on a riverbank in Babylon, and he has this vision of angels that are covering their faces, that have a bunch of faces and lots of wings, and, uh, and there's this, uh, this throne that is then on top that's being held by these angels, and on the throne is this human-like being, this figure uh, that is emanating light and glory and lightning, and Ezekiel understands fairly quickly what it is. In Ezekiel 128, he says this. He says, this was the appearance of the likeness of, of the Lord's glory. And when I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking. So Ezekiel here in Babylon sees this vision and he understands it to be the very presence of the glory of God. And it's come now to him and he falls face down. This was the very glory of God that descended on the river banks of Babylon that dwelt on Mount Sinai, that was there around the tabernacle, that was there in the very presence of the temple. And it was now here in exile. And that's what made the temple so unique, is that it was where God's presence was. It was where his glory dwelt. See, if you wanted to worship in God's presence, you had to come to him. That was the understanding. And so here, 
Ezekiel has a vision of God's glory actually leaving the temple and coming to him in Babylon. And here's what we learn about God in this vision. And God's beginning to set the stage to kind of rewire how his people understand interacting with him, worshiping him, and being in his presence. We understand this, that God isn't bound by a building. That the creator of the universe isn't hemmed in by four walls. God didn't dwell in the temple because it was holy. The temple was holy because God dwelt in the temple. The moment he left, it was just a building. It's just ruins now. There's, there's ancient history. We can go and see the Western Wall. It's interesting to see a wall that was built 2,000 years ago, but there is nothing holy intrinsically about it because God's presence is not there anymore. And so the truly extraordinary thing came then in what God tells Ezekiel next. Remember, the teaching of God's people this time, God's presence confined to God's temple. You wanted to worship in God's presence, you had to go to him. You had to go to the tabernacle, to the sanctuary, to the temple. But now it gets us to our text this morning in verse 16. And look at what God says to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16. It says this, Therefore say, this is what the Lord God says, Though I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them and the countries where they have gone. Did you hear what God is saying here? He's saying that my people have been scattered. They're in exile. They're in captivity. They're spread apart. They're not able to gather together. But he is not waiting for them to come back to him. He has gone to them. He says that I have been a sanctuary. This is the same kind of language that's used, this sanctuary, tabernacle, tabernacle, temple. This is the same image that God is using going, I have been a tabernacle, a temple, a sanctuary to my people in the middle of exile. So Ezekiel, far from you having to mourn the loss of my presence until you can get back to Jerusalem, my presence has come to you. And I have been a tabernacle and a sanctuary for you here on the riverbanks of Babylon. And this is God beginning to show what he was going to be up to in just a few more centuries when in the truest sense he would come and be a sanctuary among his people, when he would come and dwell amongst his people. John writes in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we understand that this Word is Jesus, and Jesus was not only with God, that Jesus is in fact God himself. And so what does God the Son do? What is God's plan here of redemption? Well, we got a taste of it here in Ezekiel 11. And in the truest sense, we see it in John 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwell, it's the same word as tabernacle, sanctuary, temple. It's the same image, the same thing that God told Ezekiel. I will come to my people in exile those who are far away, and I will come and dwell among them. I will be with them. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. We didn't have to come to him. He came to us. And so listen, if you're here this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you've never done this church thing, and so you're just scrolling through Facebook, and you're like, oh, I'll listen to this uh, weird guy with this accent wall behind him for a little while, and wondering what it is that makes Christianity different. Well, let me just tell you, what I just said is the thing that makes Christianity separate from every other religion. 
And so I often hear it said that, um, that, that Christianity is just one form of religion. It's all the same God. We're all making our way up. You know, the, the God's on top of a mountain, and every religion is just a different path, but we're all heading to the same top of the mountain. It's just a different expression, different culture. Well, friends, what makes Christianity distinctly different is that every religion gives us the path of how we at the bottom of the mountain get to the top where God is. You do this, pray enough, uh, do enough good things, give to the poor, whatever it might be. If you do enough, you can work your way up to him. But what makes Christianity uniquely different is that in the story, we understand that we can't get to him. And so what God does is he comes to us. He came and dwelt among us when we were in exile, when we were far from him. He came to pick us up and bring us to himself. And so we see it here in Ezekiel 11. We see it most fully in Jesus as he is our, the greater tabernacle, God's presence dwelling among us. And the reason why this is important for us today is because we're in a time where we feel that we are separated from God's people. And you may feel like you may be separated a little bit from God's presence during this time and going, oh, for the next however long, I'm just going to have to grin and bear it and just make it through. And let me just tell you, as we read the Bible, that is not the case. So yes, you, you, all of these, uh, all of these um, people in Israel, when they were in exile, they were longing to return to Jerusalem. They were longing to come back to Zion, to be gathered again with all of their people. We see this in the Psalms, the, the Psalms that were written in exile. There's this longing to come back and gather in Jerusalem. And I, I don't know about you, but I feel that. I feel that longing in me to gather again with the saints of the Grove Church to get together again, not in Zion, but in Grassy Lake Elementary School, to sing together, to pray together, to take communion together, to hear the word preached together. I long for that. This isn't a replacement for that. But in the same sense, while there's a longing to gather again, there is also the reality that God's presence is still with each and every one of us right now. And so it doesn't matter if you're in a living room right now with your family, with a couple friends, or if you're watching this by yourself. Friends, you have access to worship in God's presence because the New Testament continues and says not only then, it continues this temple theme of what, what God's temple is today. 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul writes this to the church. He says that, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And Paul's saying that for every Christian, God then gives us His Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So God's presence actually dwells in us. So our bodies are the temple. So if you're here watching by yourself, friends, God is not only with you, He is within you. You have access to worship in God's presence, to know Him, to continue to grow in your relationship with Him, even though we're not able to gather together uh, as a church during this season. You have access to God's presence wherever you are. So you can worship Him today. You can worship Him tomorrow. You can worship Him in this entire season when we can't gather because God isn't waiting for you to come to Him. He has come to you. And so we hold that same tension, longing to gather together again, but encouraged by the hope as we are not to the extent that Ezekiel was. Obviously, we're not in exile. We're not in captivity. There are brothers and sisters around the world today that face a situation where they can't gather out of fear or persecution. But there is a sense, while it's not as extreme at that, it is sad. And we do feel the loss of that. But in the same sense, we feel the hope of God continuing to walk alongside us. Technology has been given to be able to do things like this, to be able to stay connected over this time. 
but overall to be able to continue to follow and be near to Jesus during this season. Because here's, I think, the choice that we have right now. There is, I think, a temptation during this season to go, hey, everything has been canceled. We can binge watch all the shows that we've wanted to watch on Netflix. We can just be lazy, be slobs, and just kind of make it through. And honestly, maybe come out on the other side of this, kind of like Thor did in the last Avengers movie, where he comes out, kind of let go of himself, and he comes out as Fat Thor. That's, uh, that's If you haven't seen Avengers, you can go and watch. He just lets himself go. There it is. And so for us, I think there's a temptation where we just go, hey, we're just going to make it through. And the choice I want to put before at the very beginning of this season to say this is actually, I think, an opportunity that God has given us as his people. Where all the distractions are removed, our our calendars are cleared for the most part. And maybe God is saying, hey, would you would you pay some attention to me? He is there with us. And there's the opportunity for us, I think, on the other side of this to grow more than we ever have in our spiritual lives before. Because while we may be hindered, to access this means of grace of gathering together as his church we are not hindered from accessing his grace itself that is still available to us we can still boldly approach the throne of grace we can still continue to grow so my challenge for you over the season make the choice right now to go i am going to continue to run after him i'm going to commit myself to to draw near to his presence to worship him to seek and follow jesus maybe closer than you ever have before opening up the Bible, beginning to pray with him, staying connected with his people through small groups as we use Zoom or through technology like Facebook and continuing then maybe as if you're, if you're a family, owning then the discipling of your family every night, doing family worship. These are some of the things that we're going to be doing as a church and laying out here in this email. What does that mean? What's it look like? What's it look like for parents to be the primary disciplers of their kids? What, do, what does family worship mean? We're going to have a Bible reading plan. We're all going to be reading through the Psalms together over the next 10 weeks, just one Psalm a day to get us all in the same text together, reading God's songs that he has given us to be able to sing in all sorts of different times. And so we're going to be reading together. And also every morning at 8 a.m., I'm just going to be on Facebook and I'm just going to read that Psalm for the day and give a couple of brief thoughts that we want to continue to grow in our relationships with Jesus because God is near to us. You haven't lost that just because we can't gather together. Now, how sweet will it be when we do again? It's going to be unbelievable. But until then, friends, God still wants you to grow. He wants to know you. He wants to be near to you. He wants you to be able to grow into the image of his son. And so be looking out this afternoon as we send out an email on ways that we as a church are going to come alongside and do this together on how we're going to be able to resource you, to equip you, to come alongside, to give you content, to empower you, encourage you, to take ownership as well, that we understand God is here with us. As we're scattered, as we're in this kind of pandemic exile, that we know that God has come to be a sanctuary to us, that God is with us and God is within us. And that's the hope that we have. And so let's continue to push forward, to encourage one another, to love and good deeds. And on the other side of this, see that God has done extraordinary things that maybe he wouldn't have done otherwise. I mentioned it yesterday, but to share again, one of my friends is a missionary in Dubai, and he put it this way. He said that, uh, that unprecedented times create unprecedented opportunities for the gospel. I think that's true not only in our lives, in our neighborhoods, and in those around us. I think it's true even in our own hearts. That maybe in order to get our attention, God had to clear our calendars to say, hey, I am here. I am here with you. I'm dwelling within you, and I want to know you. 
I want to be with you and I want you to follow me. I want you to find that the joy you've been looking for can be found in a relationship with me. And so that's my hope. That's my prayer. And I'm genuinely hopeful and excited for what God may do during this extraordinary season in our hearts, in our church, and in our community. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now so grateful that you have come to us. God, help us to live in light of that reality. God, help us to sense your presence and your nearness to us. God, help us every day to choose to follow you, to see that you have given us your spirit, you have given us your word. And God, we can continue to grow as your presence dwells here with us. You are God with us. And knowing that we long for the day when we can gather together again and worship you, but even when we gather together, that that is an imperfect picture when we will one day gather in that perfect assembly in Revelation, when we gather around the throne, that we continue to long for that, this true expression of living in your presence. God, help us to live as we follow you. God, help us to fight apathy, help us to fight sin, help us to fight anxiety. God, give grace to marriages. God, give grace to our tempers. God, whenever there is um, a, a type of cabin fever that sets in and our tempers may be short, God, give us patience. Give us grace. May the fruit of your spirit become abundant in this season. That husbands and wives would work and look not only to their own interests, but also the interest of others. God, as we are working as a team, God, looking to, again, continue on to disciple our families, disciple our children. God, help us to take ownership of our own souls, of our personal relationship with you. We'd walk forward reading in your word, God, meeting together digitally um, as, uh, as a church here in this time, continuing to grow, continuing to encourage, and longing for that day when we can gather together again. God, continue to be with all those who are on the front lines of this, God, for healthcare workers and for their families, God, who are put in harm's way in this. Um, and also risk then exposure or being quarantined from their families. I know I hear stories of families being separated this time because doctors and nurses are every day spending time with patients. Um, God, we thank you for the gift of doctors. We thank you for the gift of healthcare workers. And God, pray that you continue to work with them to protect them over this time. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing. God, help us in this season to remain relationally connected, intentionally cared for, fully equipped, and missionally engaged as we strive to make disciples who know, treasure, and obey Christ. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Look forward to seeing you. Be on the lookout for an email this afternoon. Um, and yeah, I miss you guys a ton and cannot wait to see you again. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all forevermore. Amen. Love you guys.